Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Comfort Free Conversations, and we're here to undo everything you think you know. Okay, uh, welcome to welcome to Comfort Free Conversations. Uh, we here where we question anything and challenge everything. Um, so today we have y- Yvette Dubel coming to visit Dubel? us. She- Dubell, excuse me. You're Thanks fine. for that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, so today we're going to be uh, delving into the uh, topic of uh, courage. Um, I think Mrs. Dubell has a lot of interesting things to share with us today um, from a lot of different standpoints. Uh, as you can see, we're going to be talking about quite a few topics. We'll kind of maybe philosophically define a definition or so a couple um and and then we'll get into like what does this really matter why are we talking about courage how does that apply to uh the everyday setting and how is this uh hashtag a comfort free conversation well stay tuned to find out because we'll definitely get into that so uh miss yvette uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself before we hop into it um wow okay so my name is yvette dubell i'm an artist researcher um as you were just saying me um courage. Uh, I feel like my life has been um, lessons in courage and freedom, and that mm. freedom takes courage. So mm. those are like really very related. Um, I just feel like courage is related to everything, you know, courage to love who you love. Um, you know, that wasn't well received at the time that we decided to make that move. Mm-hmm. Um, home birthing that took courage because everybody thought that was crazy. Um, homeschooling because back then, you know, everybody hadn't heard of it. So, you know, it took a lot of courage just to live what I felt like was an authentic life for me. You know, that's really good. I think authenticity and courage do have a lot to do with each other. Um, so I, the fun, it's funny, the words that you use. And I think if you want freedom, I think the desire for freedom itself is a c- courageous thing, you know, um, when you really think about yeah. it. Um, so like going, going back, so like you have a, a pretty strong background in entrepreneurship and you kind of have delved into a lot of social justice from what I understand. Um, mm-hmm. So what's a little bit about that background um, and kind of how do you relate that to what you view to be important today or your priorities or this word courage for you? Um, Okay. So I've been involved in politics and social justice since I was like 13. So when I was 13, I was a young Democrat um, and used to work at the polling stations through the local democratic committee Um, would arrange that and go to state caucuses and, um, you know, all that stuff. Like I was really, you know, into that. Um, so I started out there and then when I was 15, uh, I was a big fan of, um, U2. Um, and that was before they were getting played on the radio. That was back in the days of imports. And I, um, used to hang out at this music store and U2 used to do a lot of, um, uh, fundraising, like concerts and stuff for Amnesty International. So they would include their literature. So I, Okay, you're really young. You don't know. So imports back in the... <laughs> I feel like I should explain that. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to ask because I definitely didn't know what it meant when you said it. Okay, so... I was like, you bad. That's what old people alert. You need to educate. <laughs> okay, so... Back in the day, um, we couldn't just order stuff, you know, through like Amazon. So everything was sort of like mail order, but this was pre-mail order even. So okay. the way that bands overseas, um, like it would just be like you knew some cool person who would like go to Europe and they would like check out these bands and bring their stuff back. And they, you know, if you knew somebody at that store, they would know somebody in Ireland who mm. would basically... <laughs> collect the money and send it there and then they would send the records back and back in those days like um like big like I, I think of um Bootsy Collins for some reason is the one that popped in my mind but his albums were just like Jandis Joplin like there were some bands where their albums were just like this experience mm. um you know there was like all this this extra material that you would get like comic strips about the band's adventures liner notes 
Um, sometimes it'd be almost like these little booklets with like photos from like the recording session that would have like different, you know what I mean? So it would be like a real experience. Um, so small bands like you two that were just starting out didn't have that kind of budget. So they would have, we were just like basically black and white photocopy type printout things of like different social justice things that they were involved in and mm -hmm. shows that they were doing. And that just made you like really cool to have like authentic, you know, band promotion material <laughs> um, from, you know, another country. Um, and so you'd have that stuff up in your locker. And so that was the kind of like the, the merch that you got, you know, for mm -hmm. the extra effort of ordering imports. So um, you two would have like Amnesty International stuff. Um, so they would have like these cards for their letter writing campaigns and things like that, these kinds of inserts. And mm -hmm. so I got into Amnesty International and that was... Um, uh, when we were trying to get American companies to divest from South up uh, South Africa during apartheid to help end apartheid. So that mm. was kind of like my entrance into like from local politics mm -hmm. to social justice. I also worked on the Jesse Jackson campaign. Like, I guess that was my first like campaign experience. Um, mm -hmm. So I remember that. But um, getting involved in Amnesty International was something like I'm still a member. Um, and then that kind of made me think more globally and dismantled and made me question a lot of things that I'd always been questioning, but I got a lot of pushback and sort of, I don't know that anybody actually said that was a stupid question, but it was, um, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not going to be bothered to answer your question and you're interrupting class kind of a thing. Okay. Like, yeah. you know, I remember like whose land are we living on? Like which tribes lived here? You know what I mean? And she tried to tell me, for example, like that they weren't here. That you know, and it's like, what? <laughs> like that doesn't even make any sense. Um, but nobody would like give that sort of information. Or they I was actually when I was in school, they literally taught me that we didn't have slavery here. Yes, the rest of the country struggled with that, but this part of North Carolina, we didn't have slavery. The blacks and the whites always got along. Like wow. I was literally like told that. Like, yeah. Um, so I feel like that was like the beginning of activism, you know, was pushing back on that stuff. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. um, cause that got me kicked out of class that made me go to summer school my junior year, you know, me and my teacher, like battling that out. And, um, it was just like, you can't teach your opinion as fact. Like that's just period. But that was an issue at that time. So you know what I'm saying? So that was like the beginning of courage. And I think my mother taught me that because when they would kick me out of school or try to kick me out of class or want to expel me over, you know, being confrontational, my mother would go and research libraries and find the federal statutes that applied, you know, to her defense of whatever it was that I had done. And then she would bring that in and that would kind of like squash it because, you know, the county can conflict with the federal. Um, and that sort of earned a little bit of respect, I think, for <laughs> my, um, hold on, my brother was texting me, sorry. Um, hopefully she's not going to call me. <laughs> um, um, so that was like sort of the beginning of my, mo my mother sort of modeling, not sort okay. of, but very much modeling what courage is and how you use it. So, um, so would you say like as a person like... Uh... So what was the difference between because you sound like a very like you were willing to step in the in the in the mud for certain things. So like if, if that makes sense. So what was the difference mm -hmm. between your version of what you were doing or courage or whatever and what your your mother was? What was the big transition for that? Like, um, well, my <laughs> mother had like respect as an adult, whereas as a child, you know, it's like, shut up. Nobody takes you seriously until you get a certain age. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know how old you are, but I remember like being a young mother when I got married young um, and we decided we wanted to home birth and people acted like I was, I, I certainly couldn't be trusted to make that decision for myself. Um, mm -hmm. But I felt that I was far more informed um, about not just birth, but like risk and prevention Um and looking at pregnancy and birthing in a more holistic context and really a spiritual context, to be honest. Um, and, and that was important to me. And I was finding that that was 
important to how my life was coming together. Mm -hmm. um, I'd always been an advocate for like people being bullied on and, you know, that sort of stuff when I was like in high school. So I think that mm -hmm. that was maybe the beginning of something. Uh, my mother, after I graduated, started a nonprofit organization called Community Reorientation Program. Mm -hmm. And um, she was working on that while I was living in Atlanta and raising my kids. And I had started, um, I, my first program was an after-school program for Spanish-speaking kids. And I did not speak Spanish. Um, it was just some tension that was going on in the community. And I thought this would be a way to begin to address that. Um, and mm. then we did a summer camp of the spirit that was focused on the sharing of different cultural traditions because I was sort of working on what would have been, I feel like a thesis or dissertation or something if I'd stayed in school. Um, <laughs> and it was about um, intellectual, cultural, intellectual traditions. Um, okay. My friend, Dr. Hilliard was, was referring to them as, as wisdom traditions and looking at those as a sort of over another layer of, of history, like I was trying to contextualize oral traditions specifically around um, what was being passed on that was preserving our intellectual, cultural tradition. Um, mm. and, and so that work was sort of what led me into uh, social justice issues uh, that were affecting the Black community. Okay. And so I feel like for you, that's what this like just buzzword, like first, okay, so we haven't really even gotten into the conversation about exactly what courage is. Um, so, so what, first off, what would you define courage as? And like, cause I, th I think it's like kind of an ambiguous thing. People say it, but like, we don't really, I don't think really <laughs> think about it sometimes about what it is that we're saying. Like when we say to have courage. Mm. Um. I think of courage. Okay, so when you ask me that, I, the memory I get. So, okay, first the term that comes to mind is courage for me is feeling the fear, but doing mm -hmm. it anyway. Mm, that's um, good. Because you know it needs to be done. And so Absolutely. I was thinking of um, times when I've had to confront something or someone or a group of people and like my feeling like my knees were knocking under the mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. and feeling like my teeth were chattering <laughs> and suddenly <laughs> like you know that um you live in Chicago so you probably know this you know like when you're in like a really intense bitter cold and even yes. when you come inside you're, you're still, still shivering. shivering inside yes. okay yes. so it's like that but you're not cold I get cold. exactly what you mean yeah I, I get that off yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's like you feel that but you know whatever it is has to be done. And um, I don't know what we do with that feeling. I, I don't want to say that I push it down, but maybe I do. Maybe I push it down and you step forward anyway. Mm. I, and then I'll deal I, with the emotions later. <laughs> you know, and then and that's an interesting. So, like, you know, obviously the label of this podcast is comfort-free conversations. And so, like, I think one of the things that one to define uh, if you're talking about pain, right, um, mm -hmm. or something like that, pain is is really all you you can really just simplify it down to an extreme discomfort, right? Something mm -hmm. of extreme yeah. discomfort. So I think this is a really central topic because uh, you need courage to be willing to withstand some whatever uncomfortable circumstance. Like if you're not in an uncomfortable circumstance right now, it definitely would take courage to go intentionally insert yourself into one. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah, and I think I think that's the utility that people need to have. Like, well, and so we center this conversation around that. Like, um, if you're going to, for example, in the cases uh, that we're talking about today, a lot of it have to do with justice. If you want to see justice, well, it's going to take courage. I think, right. in general, if you want to see change, and not necessarily like I'm just generally not any type of specific change, but if you want to see change, uh, you you have to have some courage. Yeah. yeah um, like well, I think the difference is, is like courage, I feel like orients you towards um, being a bit more optimistic and focusing on the outcome, the reason you're doing it versus when you focus on the fear, you think of all the reasons not to do it. And um, 
well, one of the, I, I'm a personal innovation mentor. So one of the things that I like to compare it to when we talk about racial justice issues um, and people who identify as allies specifically, mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I observed and I shared with you that the way I talk about this work is different post George Floyd's murder. And the things that I heard from people after seeing that changed the kind of conversations that I felt that I could have. And it, it flipped something in me. Um, I'm going to say part of it was, was that, but also I had a birthday in December and I turned 50 and mm -hmm. there's something about, I think reaching, I've heard other women say this and it is so true. There is something about that marker that, um, if you've done your work now, if you haven't done your work, you might still have some stuff to do, but if you've done your work, you have a really good sense of who you are and mm -hmm. what you're about. Um, and there were certain conversations that um, if you cannot have them with me on a certain level, I don't really know where there's a place for you in my life. And if you really feel like you need to be there, then that's for you to sort out, but I'm moving on. Um, and there was like real clarity. And I think that in my younger years, I don't know that I would have had the courage to definitively say that to people's faces when you know, they were trying to talk to me about their feelings about racism, how bad they felt and how difficult it was to have to learn black history, blah, blah, blah. It's interesting that you say that I was actually going to like that was going to be my reply. I would think that that would take a lot of courage to do. You know, I find myself in a very similar predicaments. It's like um, and I felt kind of like rigid or shallow for saying this but i kind of just reached this point to where it's like i don't really care to entertain much small talk not that it, it's not safe but if our overwhelming relationship is not bringing right. any asset to my life then why do i right. need it why is it there exactly. <laughs> yes like so so it's yeah. either and I, people I, I don't i personally don't think this is a false dichotomy but i i, I personally think you either are adding something to my life. And I, if I can't have any evidence of what you're adding to it, then that means you're distracting and taking away. Bravo for getting that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, when people have accused me of being antisocial, that, that, that really isn't the case. I'm not antisocial. I have I think I have very good social skills. Mm -hmm. um, but part of that for me is that sometimes I decide a conversation is not worth having and I just remove myself. I just leave. Mm -hmm. I don't need to announce to everybody that I'm done at the cookout. I just leave. Um, yeah. And some people would say that that's rude, but it's like, um, I don't need to be talked into staying. I don't need to be talked into 50 million good. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm -hmm. um, for exactly that reason, I am here and I'm thinking of 50 other things I would rather be doing, which means being here is probably not the right move for me right now. Mm. And I noticed that when I used to be on my phone all the time, that was mm -hmm. what I noticed was I would, um, oh my gosh, when I got my first note five, well, I don't know, eight or whatever it was, mm -hmm. um, note three, it was a note, Samsung note three, and I could go on Google drive and type, you know, work on my documents anywhere. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I was like the worst party guest ever. <laughs> <laughs> I can, okay, that, that yeah, that's it, it. Was really cool. I was like, okay, so I could go type this on my computer, and then I could just go somewhere and continue to type this on my phone. It's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like, uh, yeah, that like was a game changer. But then the, I started to realize how often I was doing that, and it's mm -hmm. like, I really am not getting much from socializing with you guys. I don't need to prove that I have social skills. <laughs> And then when I was doing more conferences and stuff, um, I felt like there was more acceptance about why I wouldn't hang out. It's like mm -hmm. I've been with people all week when I, you know, I just want to be alone. Um, and then I guess, of course, having raised my kids and been with them every day, I don't really have the same need for that sort of social engagement because I mm -hmm. have like projects. And that was one of the things I realized when my kids were young was I was way more productive working on my dreams while I was raising my kids because I wasn't bogged down with like, um, I know you're a Christian, so please don't get upset with me for saying this, but <laughs> no, dealing with like domestic bullshit. You know what I'm saying? I mean, okay. 
Um, I had women who were, you know, oh, how can I find time to, you know, make music when I have to do all this laundry and he likes his socks folded a certain way. It's like, well, he needs to deal with his own damn socks. Um, I was not doing that. And um, I think that you always have to be making a choice about what is most important, what really matters. And um, I think I picked well, because I didn't pick a husband who was pressing me on any of that crap either. And at times we had a housekeeper, so I'm not going to front. I mean, housework <laughs> has, does have to be done. Uh -huh. well, that's totally that's totally fine, because and one of the things that I'm learning is that if you're really if you uh, if you have higher efficiency, putting your time elsewhere, then hire someone else to do. Right. 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 So that makes sense. I told. So I want to come back to the husband thing in a second, because I think that's very interesting. But like, I just want to piece some things together because I'm personally like connecting a lot of dots as we're talking. <laughs> so you so it's first we're so first we're presenting courage as this utility. But we're mm -hmm. not like when you say courage. I don't know if people's first reaction is that it's something that's a benefit to you, right? Like personally. So, but I'm seeing it as a utility. Like you need courage to ensure your boundaries, to take yeah. leaps of faith, to stand up for yourself, um, um, to, to, and, and, you know, we're talking, you're talking about like the need for people to have social interaction and things like that, you know, at a party. And I don't think people realize like the difference between like from what I'm hearing someone like you and someone who's really feeding into that is they're trying to satisfy some need. And so you're like, well, well, by doing purposeful and intentional things, I've learned by doing that over and over again, that this is the need that I was trying to fill. Therefore, I don't yeah. really need these other spaces. Yes. So well, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, I just in a really simplistic way, my relationships with collaborators are where mm -hmm. I put priority. My family, of course, after my husband and my kids, my family and my pets and stuff, putting family aside, um, external relationships, collaborations, because the, like you said, the what you get out of it is really clear. And there's also like an agreement in that relationship about what it is that we want to see come from this. Hmm. Um, so your time together, even if you're just like having bonding time, you both know where, you know what I'm saying? That there's a trajectory to this relationship. Mm -hmm. This relationship needs to deliver for us. I like that kind of, I, I don't like commitments. That's also part of the social thing. I don't like a lot of commitments. I don't like to make commitments to be, to show up somewhere. Um, I, I like minimal commitments because I like to feel free and I think it takes courage to honor your own truth. And that's part of my truth is I don't like being committed to a lot of things. There's a lot, of, you know, I don't like to focus on what I don't like. I focus on what I do mm -hmm. like, and I like mm -hmm. feeling free. I like to feel free in my day to day. I like to feel okay. free when I get up in the morning that I get to choose what I'm going to focus on. That's good. <laughs> I look for like where that's the good. flow is. Okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. That makes sense. And so, okay. Well, then this and makes so me think of courage, this other thing. Amir, that's, that's an example because it took me a long time to be honest about that. Like, that's the way wow. I work best. That's how I show up best. That's mm -hmm. why, how I'm able to be the most present with everybody okay. that I have to deal with is to schedule uh -huh. who I talk to. Um, so my friends don't just call me because they saw something funny on TV. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> text me that shit and I'll look at it when I get a chance, you know, and that's so important. Like, I want to stop right there because this is a central issue that I'm having with my friends in the time periods that we're in. Like, I have priorities. I'm trying to build the foundation of my life. And, right? and, and you, you have to have enough courage, I think. And, and I think courage, you have to, you find a little bit of it in faith. You find a little bit of it in trust. There's some courage there, but like you, you have to trust that, you know, I'm, I have, I have other priorities and other things and our friendship is not like meaningless, but there are things that you should be doing while you're in the middle of texting me about <laughs> what's on TV right now. And there are things that I should be doing too. And, and I think that's, as young people, we, we don't understand that at all. I think that's a foreign concept to us. So, like, what do you think is the thing, right? Is it, do you think it's a lack of courage? Or if it's not, is it like a false version of courage that we think we have? Is it, is, like, what's the opposite of this courage? Like, I know we say coward, but 
Like, what does that even really mean? No, no. You know what word comes to mind? Conformity. Because I it immediately Ooh. reminded me of a commercial. And I can't remember what the commercial was for. I think it might have been a it might have been a, a parody commercial. But it was like, um, I want to be an individual and they're gonna wear this particular shirt, right? And mm -hmm. then their other friends are all like, Yeah, we're gonna be individuals, and they all are supposed to wear this shirt, but then when they show up, only one of them has the shirt on. It's like, well, I don't want to be individual by myself. <laughs> and so then she won't wear the shirt. Ah, that's hilarious. Okay, so but conformity. don't you think it's kind of like that's the conform? It's conformity. It's like this is what everybody says. You know, this is how you appear relevant. It's the appearance of relevance rather than mm -hmm. focusing on value. Okay. Yes, that's good. That's really good. So then, okay, so in the situation where we're talking about TV and. What is the thing that's going to first off, it takes an extreme amount of courage to be willing because that is your individualism being at like, hey, I love you. You're my friend. I, I care about you. But this is not where I want to spend my time right now in this moment. I think that's if you're if that's your first introduction to it, that's very intimidating to do like, hey, I don't want to talk to you right now. Like it just seems so threatening to say. Um, well, I mean, dude, y'all have the benefit of technology. When I was young, I used to unplug my phone, Amir. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't want to, I didn't just turn the ringer off. I used to just unplug the phone, okay? okay. And sometimes my phone would be unplugged for like a week, and people would show up at my house. Because <laughs> I would plug it in when <laughs> I needed it. You know, when I need to make a call, I plug it in, then I would unplug it again. Also, the other reason for that was my kids would sometimes get the phone and like dial 911 or something. Oh, and God. after that happens once or twice, um, they might actually send the police to get you or something. I don't know. But that was also one of the reasons. But it was also it's like the phone ringing and they would want to answer the phone. It kept bringing their attention to this interesting thing. Um and so even when it didn't ring loud, if you were close, you could feel it vibrate. You could hear it on the tabletop. So mm -hmm. you guys can like, I turn off my, 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 all of my notifications for hours at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good though. We're way too distracted by what goes on in the media. We're way too interconnected with each other. I think, you know, I didn't think about it in the way that you phrased it, but I think it has a lot to do with conformity actually. Like it has a ton to do with yeah. conformity because it keeps us always interconnected which is not in my opinion a good thing haven't you ever been somewhere and looked around and seen everybody on their phone and then pulled yours out yes i definitely have yes <laughs> like that it's like when you i've been in like restaurants and but it's something that we've all adapted to and the way that i guess i make myself feel better about it is i do something productive i'm proofreading mm. something i'm writing something i'm editing something i do some emails because i also don't check emails every day um so, <laughs> um so that's a good time to like look at emails and reply to people while i'm sitting here sitting with people that i don't want to talk to yeah Yes. So it, so, it, so basically, so courage is needed for change. It's needed for boundaries. It is really needed to be productive. I think, I think to kind of you, like, I feel like the first introduction to scheduling and managing your time or budgeting your time the same way you would budget money is you kind of feel like you're handing over your time. Like you're going to have yet less of it, but you're really just making it more valuable and doing more with it. But that's, that's yeah. very, intimidating upon like your first interaction with it um well okay so instead of a time focus though because i'm not really time focused okay uh, <laughs> i do attention i manage my attention i like this okay say more um, so one of my early collaborators was a Dutch fellow who wrote this book, a little book on the theory of attention. And so he and I, you know, have had extensive conversation about this. And so the framework of this stuff that I've been doing, this, I, I call it the soul food framework is basically based on change management based mm -hmm. on attention management. And so the system that I created is basically the system I use to manage my attention. <laughs> 
<laughs> and um, that's what I teach people. Um, so I teach like a more basic version of it. And mm -hmm. for people that want to go like Jedi level or whatever, um, I actually have like a every year I make a new planning journal. I transform a magazine into this planning journal. I use a lot of repurposed materials. Um, and so there's a whole thing related to the making and the intentional making of it, of transforming something, you know, from the recycle bin or multiple mm -hmm. things um, into this planning journal that I'll use for the year. Mm -hmm. And um, the way that it's set up is based on my work style. And so that's what I teach people is how to understand your work style, what needs have been met, which ones are not. And I'm really big on teaching people to meet their own needs so that you don't come needy to work. Um, partly based on a pet peeve that I had for a long time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but also because it's useful in life. It's useful in all of your relationships because I see that so often people will dump on somebody else. Um, they think that they're triggered by what the other person did, but mm -hmm. that is rarely what the blow up is really about. Right. And a lot of that can be avoided if you deal with your own needs mm -hmm. and the way that you address issues with people um, just is, it, it, I can't even tell you how it just brings the level down. And then, okay. So what, what you just said, what I kind of hear out of that, the thing where mm -hmm. it took me was you need courage for clarity. Yep. <laughs> because you blow things, you can blow things out of proportion. You can let them, because I mean, our brain is naturally wired to have this negative feedback loop as a form of preservation, but like in a yeah. modern context of society, it's not necessarily as needed. So, you know, to step into that thing that you were so afraid of, you, you know, like, you know, that the, 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 the famous trope where in a movie someone's falling off a cliff and then they show them falling for like 20 seconds, but they've been on the ground for 15 seconds already. <laughs> And yeah. so it's like, it's like yeah. that. So you're like, oh, yeah. so it wasn't, it wasn't really that long of a fall. Right. Um, well, I think also, again, it's like, it takes a lot of self-awareness. And I think self-awareness takes courage. It mm -hmm. takes courage to be honest, um, even with yourself about who you are. And we this were talking really earlier about allies. And so I mm -hmm. compare it to giving birth, like you're giving birth to like this new version of yourself. And during um, birthing, during the birthing process, there's a period where the baby's moving, you know, before it comes out, when um, there's a panic that sets in when this is the first time you've had a baby. If you've mm -hmm. had a few babies, you know what's coming. But the first time that it happens, um, it feels like you're going to die. And it's a very common fear that women feel because it doesn't compare to anything else you've ever felt. It pushes the limits of your body in a way that you have never tested them. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to keep that fear down. And so sometimes when people can't, they panic, they scream, they, you know, the heart rate gets elevated, it can cause fetal distress. You know what I'm saying? And then it becomes this emergency situation versus mm -hmm. if you know this is just, you know, the fear that you feel before you get to the other side of the door. You know, it's the fear you feel before you turn the lights on. Mm -hmm. And if you can just learn to stay calm and wait for it to pass um, and just breathe through it, um, then the transformation happens and, you know, you get the gift. Um, and so that's one of the things that I think like that's the you were asking before, like, what's the opposite of courage? Mm -hmm. Um that's the emotional opposite. What I was describing was what we see, you know, what, what we witness, what we see. But I think the, the lived experience is something along the lines of that sort of terror of just moving into something unknown. Okay, so, so the opposite of courage is only focusing on the things that you see. So that kind of implies that courage in itself has some type of visionary component where you believe something, you see something that's not there yet, but it's like within your grasp. It kind of, does that make sense? Yeah. Like you're achieving now, for a goal. Mm -hmm. You have something in mind that's different from the reality that you're in. And you kind of like, you kind of like choose to have faith in that thing, even though that's not the reality. What is it? Faith is the um, faith Substance is the hope of, of 
there you go. Substance Get it. of things hope uh, hope for, and evidence of things not seen. Okay, so my mother. Okay, my mom was my mom was a Christian. Um, my mother, during really really trying times in her life, like when she needed a job and somebody at her job was just determined to make her life hell. Um, or I remember once she was working in this, in this insurance company, this woman was trying to set her up to make it look like she had stolen this money this woman had embezzled. And my mother literally wrote those scriptures into her shoes <laughs> and walked on her faith every day. Okay? Wow. Okay. That's All intense. Right? Right. <laughs> but I have seen my mother come out of amazing things. And so uh, my mother's a real estate broker now. That was like her dream when we were growing up. She worked in a factory and tried to go to school at night and we did not make it easy. Um, and so it took a long time for her to make it happen. But um, that woman was not able to pin, you know, her dirt on my mother. She was found out and she did lose her license. Um, and my mother would always remind me of that. You know, you walk on your faith. And I think that that is very much that's a good point. That is exactly what courage is. Uh oh. Are you back? Yeah. Hello. Okay. I got disconnected for quite a bit. Okay. All right. Um, so you were saying, uh, the last thing I heard you say is that is exactly what courage is. Yes, that was it. I was just agreeing. Like, that's exactly what courage is. That, that's it. Um, that walking on faith. Um, and I thought of my mother used to say that all the time. Mm. Okay. So let's kind of transition then. Like, I feel like we're at a good point. So like, like people may be asking, like, what is the relevance of all of this? So you kind of, you have this motto of, of plan, uh, planet profit people, right? So people plan right. profit. This is your model where you can help preserve the planet. You can maximize your profits and you can have the best interest in the people around you all at the same time as this like solution. And that's often something you pe teach people in leadership, right? Yes. Well, I didn't create that like pairing, but it is commonly used. Okay. Um, I didn't like coin the phrase, so to speak. Okay. Um, but it's something that we... Um, in early in the formation of my company, um, I was my research was looking at social capital, and um, that was sort of the beginning of corporate social responsibility becoming mm -hmm. a thing. But then it sort of morphed into this whole other thing, and social capital fell by the wayside. So social capital that movement um, to create a new kind of business collective mm -hmm. um, that that was where that people profit planet came from. That it's not as prominent now. We thought the internet was going to be the day of this movement but facebook hijacked it um <laughs> and that changed the whole story um so anyway um people pro so one what i teach people how to do is like bring that down make it really understandable and relatable is i help them understand go through a process that helps them to clarify what really matters to them and to mm -hmm. redefine success so that it includes not just your own personal, you know, wealth or happiness, but that as well as um, the impact on others, the impact on the planet, the impact of other life, you know, on the planet um, and the impact on the legacy. And so you want to look at your success and what you're doing um, in terms of legacy your legacy building, whether you realize it consciously or not. And mm -hmm. certainly when I look at politics, that's something I wonder, like, are these people thinking about like the legacy that they're building um, and that they will leave because of what they're doing? So I teach people to focus on how to make that a part of how they're defining their success. And then as we're looking at that, what I call applied aligned action, your actions, your day-to-day -day planning, and that's what my system really helps people to do, is mm -hmm. to create a day-to-day -day action plan that keeps them in alignment with that success and that trajectory that we define. Okay, that's really cool. Okay, that's awesome. And so, like, how would you, uh, if you if you could, how would you relate that to what's people challenged with doing that? What's the difficulty with, like, what's the resistance against, like, why isn't everyone doing it? Um, well, all the things that we just talked about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, yeah, relate it back to courage. Relate it back to courage for me. Right? Um, it takes a lot of courage to say this is 
what I'm committed to. This is what's important to me. Um, mm. Like think about how many people say, oh, my kids mean everything to me, but yeah. they have no time for their kids. They have no attention for their kids. Their kids get leftover attention mm. at best mm. sometimes. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Yes, yes, um, yes. And it's not, I mean, if that's your truth, say what's true. That's Do you know really what I'm good. saying? Like, yes. I know that can and, be painful. <laughs> and that's a whole separate concept just in and of itself. To The courage to see yourself as you really are. Right. Not not right. what you would like to think of yourself as. That's and that's very scary for a lot of people. I, I I've been through that. I've been through some of that process myself. I won't say like I've been through that process. It's being so young and I feel like learning yourself is a lifetime journey. You don't you don't really ever stop. Yeah. Um but I've been through some of that and it took an extreme amount of courage, in my opinion, to stand up to this uh person that I was versus who I projected myself to be. So, okay, and, and well, I think that's just how we think of ourselves. I mean, I always thought I was laid back, and my family has told me uniformly, everybody that knows me has said, Yvette, you are not laid back. <laughs> I did not want to hear this. I didn't want to accept it, but when I get that much feedback, it's like, okay. And I forget something. Um, oh, I, I was sharing something with my son, and I think I provided some extra instructions. Like, see, that's the opposite of laid back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well that's i feel like that's the perfect transitioning point then so because you uh the your ultimate premium package especially relating to this social justice is is you say that you have the cure uh for racism right um yeah and how is that anything but a courageous venture right so so i think there's a couple different mm -hmm. facets we can <laughs> talk about we could talk about the courage of us in the vulnerable position right the right uh, the so the the socially disenfranchised we can talk about that from the angle of the uh the person in power or with privilege right as right. in that context that i just mentioned seeing themselves as they actually are and the reality of what what actually is so there's a couple different lenses and i feel like well now's the perfect time to kind of delve in this thing and put a pretty bow around this and really pack the punch of what we're trying to uh right. you know enforce people to do Right. Well, I guess part of it is um, shifting that orientation. So the focus isn't what on um, what you have to lose, but particularly okay. for people who say that they are allies. OK, mm -hmm. um, if you're not willing to cause it's, the basis of what my cure for racism is, is that systemic and institutional racism continue to exist because a lot of people's success and wealth depend on it. Mm. Right. Right. That's really good. So if I, you know, focus on that particular group of people that say they want to be allies, maybe my legacy can be doing something major because, um, you know, President Biden said in his inaugural speech, his inauguration speech, um, what, I can't, I'm going to paraphrase this, but enough of us moving forward to bring the rest of us along. I just want to find those folks that are going to be enough. Mm. to move the rest of us along. We don't need right. all white people that benefit from systemic racism to buy into what we're saying. Mm -hmm. But for all of those people that are posting on social media that, you know, they're committed to the cause, um, this is where the rubber reaches the road. If you're not willing to do this, mm -hmm. then I think you need to reconsider whether or not you need to. Is that the truth? Mm. Is that really the truth? Mm. Um, and so for myself... Um, you know, applying what I'm just what I'm saying to you, I had to look at, am I going to stay angry about, you know, the people who raided the Capitol building or mm -hmm. can I focus on how to empower those people who want to be our allies? Right. And, and, that, and that's a scary thing, because with such intense emotions, do you want to trust someone again? But you kind of have to stand up in the face. And I think courage often has a lot to do doing what you don't feel like doing. Yes. I, like I, I don't said, feel it's like putting right, down my right. anger. Right. Well, the thing is, it's like to work through it because that's part of the thing is like the solution is not a thing you do once. This is a right. journey. 
Absolutely. So one of I teach, um, there are a couple of processes that I teach. Um, I have a book coming out the end of February. Um, so that includes um, an updated version of this playbook where I walk people through um, one of the practices that I use, where you journal about the things that you cannot express or confess or whatever, the things that are raging inside of you that you don't want to act on, but you mm -hmm. need to take some action for, mm -hmm. okay? Okay. Um, so you journal about them at length until you feel better. And one of the things I like to do personally, um, because I don't like being found out, I don't want somebody coming back and reading what I wrote. Uh, I had somebody read my diary as a young person and I was somewhat traumatized, um, but, um, but I still have lots of journals and I've let my kids read them. So, uh, I feel like I've made peace with it, but I will sometimes write over a journal entry. Like I have more to say and I'll write over that and just keep writing over the page. But then mm -hmm. at the end, we transform that into art. And so that's what the playbook walks people through is, um, we use like just white Elmer school glue, watercolor paper, Crayola watercolor markers, some paint brushes. <laughs> Um, and that's it. And I show them how to transform that thing that you felt ashamed of or embarrassed about or whatever um, and transform that into something else. But as you're doing it, there's a series of internal inquiries that you're making. There's mm -hmm. some prompts to guide you along, things to think about, to reflect on as you're creating it so that there's some intention going into the creation process. Mm -hmm. Um and that's an amazingly healing thing. And it's really important because as we were talking about the courage to tell the truth, um, people have to find a place to be able to face the truth. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's been really hard for some people to admit that they are afraid of losing what they have. And that makes them hesitant to really deal with systemic racism. So I okay. show you how you can redefine success and that um, you'll feel much better about the success you have that is considering the impact on, you know, people, profit, planet. So like mm -hmm. making money isn't bad, but we also have to redefine what growth means in business, right? right. I mean, if we're not going to continue just to consume resources, this is like an important thing. And so before I was trying to have that conversation, um, you know, with companies. So now it's just like focused on people who may or may not be within companies who mm -hmm. also understand that this is a part and part of leadership. This is something you have to model. Um, th this is about building those inner inner emotional muscles um, to be able to stand up in uncomfortable situations and not buckle and not back away, not feel cornered, um, not defend, but to really just be present and listen. Mm, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> so, so I want to kind of talk about now, let's like, so mm -hmm. we talked about how courage often has this vision. So you're giving people a vision to, to sort of practice their courage. Right. And so like to incorporate that and let it, um, engraft into who they are. Right. So what is this rephrasing of success? Right. And, and then that, that's one question I want to ask. And then mm -hmm. another question I want to ask is for other places that take that need uh, this push for courage, how would you begin uh, uh, encouraging them to create a vision that allows them to practice courage? So those are the two questions I have. OK, um, I feel like the answer to both of those is going to be pretty similar. Um, you need to really find that space to be with yourself and look inside and really, and I think this, a lot of times you, we get some glimmer of it when we're young. Some people hold on to it. Some people it just gets tossed by the wayside, but what is the thing in you that if you died, you could not bear that you did not do this? Mm. That if your life ended, not to be morbid, but if your life ended tomorrow, what would you be so regretful that you didn't do? Mm. What was the thing you came here to give, to deliver, that you didn't express yet? And figuring out that that's the way in. So you figure out what that is. And um, I, my experience has been like paying attention to that. 
um, following that that creative impulse to like develop mm -hmm. that to understand what it is to get clarity about it, and mm -hmm. then to figure out like who needs this. Mm. Okay. And that's that, that. I think that those are are kind of like related things. Okay. So then, but in terms of the success, especially when so we're talking about the fear to. We're not like, for example, in the case of white privilege, we're not asking people to put down their privilege more so to uh, because that's that's like, I would say, a little bit illogical, like in a society, right, if right. you're white, you can't. Put no, but down how are you privilege. using that privilege? Exactly. Are you using it? Right. Exactly. You get it. So so how do I reframe that? So what what is missing in the current definition of success that is taking the courage to redefine? <laughs> You see what I'm saying? Okay, so um, in my workshop, uh, when people go to my, my website, empoweredinnovation.org, if you go there and it'll take you to the Cure for Racism uh, webinar where you can get um, tickets to go attend that. So one of the things that I share in that is the distinction between personal innovation and personal growth. Mm -hmm. And personal growth has to do with the aspects of self that you feel have held you back from, you know, succeeding, right? From accomplishing what you want to accomplish. Okay. Versus personal innovation looks at those aspects of selves as your launch pads. Those are, those are your opportunities in disguise to take you to your success. Mm. That, and, and part of that is your success, in order for it to be real, in order to really feel good about what you have accomplished, I think most people don't want to feel that they have harmed the planet or other people, which is why there's such denial of racism, right? Okay, yes. Okay. So you th so it's like basically just getting people to that. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm. Like people have been denying that they're benefiting <laughs> from this at all. But yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and then and then and then like there's there's got to be like some big secret as to what like I think it impacts someone's self-worth when they feel like they have, they are responsible for those things. But I think to some degree, we all are. Like, even if I am not hurting people, I'm probably hurting the planet based off, depending on what country you live in. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. so, so, I mean, I'm, I'm a part of this in the same way that anyone else is. Um, right. Yeah. And so um, one of the things, one of the interesting topics that I would like, just to, as we're closing out, and then we'll mm -hmm. leave final remarks, um, this new definition of generosity, which I think is perfect for this because generosity, uh, the, uh, I, a person, his name is Corey Trinda. He defines and says that you cannot, it is not generosity if you do not have any vulnerability in it, right? So what the real definition, what mm -hmm. he really phrases generosity as is not just kindness and not just giving something, but I think I'm going to add the word in here, courage, the courage to go to a vulnerable person and and give them some of the alleviate some of the vulnerability that they have by picking up the vulnerability yourself. So if I yeah. if I have twenty dollars in my pocket and I make mm -hmm. fifty thousand dollars a year, it's not necessarily generous to give someone twenty dollars. It didn't cost me anything. I didn't have to do anything, but if, but I, if I really had the courage to put my stake out there, you know, maybe I'm risking my reputation. Maybe I'm risking my right. safety in certain instances. That's the real definition of generosity and it has to have courage. And I think that's what we're asking, you know, uh, people to participate in. We're asking um, people who look like us, you know, of minority backgrounds to, step to, to step up and set their boundaries and not to allow racist remarks and things like that come up and to check people like if you want to be in my circle right I'm going to challenge you on the things that you say and if you're not willing to hold that conversation then we're going to have a much deeper talk but we're asking other people uh who are who who may come from a white diaspora or or background uh to to take a courageous jump into generosity where you're helping relieve the vulnerability on us by by um adding some vulnerability to yourself given you have privilege to do that that we do not and i think there's so much yeah. more what you're kind of communicating and selling in this success is there's some much more beneficial things to that you can achieve and grasp in that than 
what you currently define as success. Absolutely. Well, I mean, okay. So let me. I'm thinking of a couple of an example here. Of um, we, my husband grew up playing golf, and so he wanted to have a golf membership. Mm-hmm. And when you see, like, for example, people who make those deals and those opportunities that are offered to people who are only a part of that golf group, okay. Mm-hmm. And okay. when that golf group doesn't include anybody that looks like me, a woman or a black person, mm-hmm. um, how many people are left out of that? How many people don't get the same? That's not equal access. Okay. Mm. Okay. And so then one of the gentlemen was selling his newspaper. Another one was, you know, hiring people. Now, generally, there were like degree requirements and you have to have this and this and this. But because someone's son was available, the job description is written exactly for him and none of those things that would have been required for an employee to apply for Mm -hmm. that job. You see what I'm saying? Those Mm -hmm. are subtle ways that seem race neutral that have a racial aspect to them. Absolutely. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to have courage to see that. What is here that what is not here that could be here? And why am I doing it that way? Yeah, okay. That's the other thing. Why am I doing it that way? Because mm. everybody I know knows examples like that where um and then and speaking to the success thing like um about the courage to be successful and to clarify what success really means for you. And I think mm. of somebody I grew up with and she was always very focused on grades, you know, getting A's and being valedictorian, but she never really questioned why she was doing this, okay? Mm. So this drove her whole life. She, you know, went to she left public high school went to a private you know uh school that was um affiliated with vassar so then she goes to vassar for undergrad then she goes to harvard law okay Okay. but then she comes to dc and ends up working for this lobbying company so she's still paying her student loans the marriage didn't work out and she didn't get to have children and so none of the things and she didn't get to travel um, because she was always working. <laughs> and so none of the things that really mattered to her were part of her life when she got towards that middle end part of her life. Do you see what I'm saying? And so like mm-hmm. she had done all of the things that she was told she was supposed to do. And then at the end, she was like confused. She didn't understand. Like I did all the things I said I was supposed to do to be successful. I'm not successful. She was unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and she, you know, she was unemployed and she was, um, she managed to get, you know, a new home and everything, but her father had to help her get that home because, you know, the marriage, the divorce didn't go her way, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> um, so it's like to go through all of that and to get to that point in your life and have nothing that was meaningful to you that really would have defined success for you because you were listening, conforming. You were doing what everybody said you should do to be successful. Mm. Wow. And that's good. And I think two things. I think most yeah. of the absence of joy in other people's lives is because of a lack of comfort. I'm, I mean, a lack of courage to step out, to step mm. out and, and really achieve the thing. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that what it seems to me is if you're not practicing courage in other in every area of your life, uh, chances are you're lying to yourself about something and you're not going to be able to see it. So like, for example, I'll give an example. So if I'm practicing mm-hmm. courage by going, let's say, to the gym every week for my body or something and mm-hmm. I refuse to be courageous, like, and I'm working on my self-image and, or, or like, I, I feel lazy and I'm still not uh, taking the courage to, let's say I have a bunch of work to do schoolwork or, or my job. And I have, it's been piling up and I choose not to te- chat, check the stack of papers. Well, then obviously something's still going on with my self-image. I may be fooling right. myself to think that I'm not lazy, but but I'm, there's still other areas where that's, that's a problem. And, and so if there's a lack of courage in one place, then that still says something very profound. So I think this is really a utility to anyone's life. Like if you are a racist, and for example, you are doing a disservice to yourself because there's so much about you that you're missing because you haven't began to question the lies that you tell yourself. Yes. 
Yes. I think so you do, are right. <laughs> so do you uh, have any final remarks or call to action for the audience as we're like transitioning? Um, try and tackle one thing every day. If, if you have some big dream, some big goal that seems too audacious, too out of reach, just find one action every day. Um, and if there are other things that you have to juggle, you have kids, you have school, you have a job, three things, three priorities every day and have them cover those different aspects of your life. Mm. Ooh, that's good. Okay. And that, that pervert. Okay. That's good. Well, thank you guys. Uh, this has been Yvette Dubell. I got it. I'm, 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 I'm good this time. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Okay, that's the end of this episode. If you like this kind of content and or just want to support me and what I'm doing, you can go to the entire video at Stereo.com slash comfort underscore free. Or you can support me on my Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash comfort free conversations. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash comfort free conversations. Thanks and catch you next time.